For some moments there was a tense silence, broken only when Dr. Corelli asked politely, Is it your suggestion, then, Sir Claude, that we should all be searched? That is not my suggestion, replied Sir Claude, consulting his watch. It is now two minutes to nine. Hercule Poirot will have arrived at Market Cleave, where he is being met. At nine o'clock precisely, Treadwell has orders to switch off the lights from the main switch in the basement. We shall be in complete darkness in this room for one minute, and one minute only. When the lights go on again, matters will be out of my hands. Hercule Poirot will be here shortly, and he will be in charge of the case. But if, under cover of darkness, the formula is placed here— and Sir Claude slapped his hand down on the table. Then I shall inform Monsieur Poirot that I have made a mistake, and that I have no need of his services. That's an outrageous suggestion, Richard declared heatedly. He looked around at the others. I say we should all be searched. I'm certainly willing. So am I, of course, Edward Rayner made haste to announce. Richard Amory looked pointedly at Corelli. The Italian smiled and shrugged his shoulders. And I? Richard's glance moved to his aunt. Oh, very well, if we must, we must, Miss Amory grumbled. Lucia? Richard asked, turning to his wife. No. No, Richard, Lucia replied breathily. Your father's plan is best. Richard looked at her in silence for a moment. Well, Richard? queried Sir Claude. A heavy sigh was at first his only reply, and then... Very well, I agree. He looked at his cousin Barbara, who gave a gesture of assent. Sir Claude leaned back in his chair wearily, and spoke in a slow, dragging voice. The taste of red coffee is still in my mouth, he said, and then yawned. The clock on the mantelpiece began to strike, and there was complete silence as all turned to listen. Sir Claude turned slowly in his chair and looked steadily at his son Richard. On the last stroke of nine, the light suddenly went out, and the room was plunged into darkness. There were a few gasps, and some stifled exclamations from the women, and then Miss Amory's voice rang out clearly. I don't care for this at all. But do be quiet, Aunt Caroline, Barbara ordered her. I'm trying to listen. For a few seconds there was absolute silence, followed by the sounds of heavy breathing, and then a rustling of paper. Silence again, before they all heard a kind of metallic clink, the sound of something tearing, and a loud bang, which must surely have been a chair being knocked over. Suddenly Lucia screamed, Sir Claude, Sir Claude, I can't bear it, I must have light, somebody please. The room remained in darkness. There was a sharp intake of breath, and then a loud knock at the door leading to the hall. Lucia screamed again. As though in response, the light suddenly came on again. Richard was now standing by the door, apparently unable to decide whether or not to attempt to open it. Edward Raynor was on his feet by his chair, which had overturned. Lucia lay back in her chair as though about to faint. Sir Claude sat absolutely still in his armchair with his eyes closed. His secretary suddenly pointed to the table beside his employer. Look! he exclaimed. The formula! On the table beside Sir Claude was a long envelope of the type he had earlier described. Oh, 
Thank God, cried Lucia. Thank God. There was another knock at the door, which now opened slowly. Everyone's attention was fixed on the doorway as Treadwell ushered in a stranger, and then withdrew. The assembled company stared at the stranger. What they saw was an extraordinary-looking little man, hardly more than five feet four inches in height, who carried himself with great dignity. His head was exactly the shape of an egg, and he carried it at a slight angle like an inquiring terrier. His moustache was distinctly stiff and military. He was very neatly dressed. Hercule Poirot, at your service, said the stranger, and bowed. Richard Amory held out a hand. Monsieur Poirot, he said, as they shook hands. Sacrode, asked Poirot. Ah, no, you are too young, of course. You are his son, perhaps? He moved past Richard into the centre of the room. Behind him, another man, tall, middle-aged, and of military bearing, had unobtrusively entered. As he moved to Poirot's side, the detective announced, My colleague, Captain Hastings. What a delightful room, Hastings observed as he shook hands with Richard Amory. Richard turned back to Poirot. I'm sorry, Monsieur Poirot, he said, but I fear we brought you down here under a misapprehension. The need for your services has passed. Indeed, replied Poirot. Yes, I'm sorry, Richard continued. It's too bad, dragging you all the way down here from London. Of course, your fee and expenses, I mean, well, um, they'll be all right, of course. I comprehend perfectly, said Poirot, but for the moment it is neither my fee nor my expenses which interest me. No? Then what? Uh, what does interest me, Mr. Emery? I will tell you. It is... Just a little point of no consequence, of course, but it was your father who sent for me to come. Why is it not he who tells me to go? Oh, of course, I'm sorry, said Richard, turning towards Sir Claude. Father, would you please tell Monsieur Poirot that we no longer have any need of his services? Sir Claude did not answer. Father, Richard exclaimed, moving quickly to Sir Claude's armchair. He bent over his father and then turned around wildly. Dr. Carelli, he called. Miss Amory rose, white-faced. Carelli swiftly crossed to Sir Claude and felt his pulse. Frowning, he placed his hand over Sir Claude's heart, and then shook his head. Poirot moved slowly to the armchair, and stood looking down at the motionless body of the scientist. Yes, I fear, he murmured as though to himself. Very much fear. What do you fear? asked Barbara, moving towards him. Poirot looked at her. I fear that Sir Claude has sent for me too late, mademoiselle. Stunned silence followed Hercule Poirot's statement. Dr. Carelli continued his examination of Sir Claude for a few moments before straightening himself and turning to the others. Addressing Richard Amory, I am afraid your father is dead, he confirmed. Richard stared at him in disbelief, as though he were unable to take in the Italian doctor's words. Then, my God, what was it? Heart failure? he asked. I suppose so, replied Corelli somewhat doubtfully. Barbara moved to her aunt to comfort her, 
for Miss Amory seemed about to faint. Edward Raynor joined them, helping to support Miss Amory and whispering to Barbara as he did so, I suppose that fellow is a real doctor? Yes, but only an Italian one, Barbara murmured in reply, as between them they settled Miss Amory into a chair. Overhearing Barbara's remark, Poirot shook his head energetically. Then, stroking his luxuriant moustache with exquisite care, he smiled as he commented softly, Me, I am a detective, but only a virgin one. Nevertheless, mademoiselle, we foreigners do arrive at the correct answer occasionally. Barbara had the grace to look at least a trifle embarrassed. She and Reno remained in conversation for a few moments, but then Lucia approached Poirot, taking his arm and drawing him aside from the others. Monsieur Poirot, she urged him breathlessly, you must stay. You must not let them send you away. Poirot regarded her steadily. His face remained quite impassive as he asked her. Is it that you wish me to stay, madame? Yes, yes, replied Lucia, glancing anxiously towards the body of Sir Claude, still seated in its upright position in the armchair. There's something wrong about all this. My father-in-law's heart was perfectly all right, perfectly, I tell you. Please, Monsieur Poirot, you must find out what has happened. Dr. Corelli and Richard Amory continued to hover near the body of Sir Claude. Richard, in an agony of indecision, appeared to be almost petrified into immobility. I would suggest, Mr. Amory, Dr. Corelli urged him, that you send for your father's own physician. I assume he had one. Richard roused himself with an effort. What? Uh, oh, yes, he responded. Yes, Dr. Graham, young Kenneth Graham. He has a practice in the village. In fact, he's rather keen on my cousin Barbara. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, that's irrelevant, isn't it? Glancing across the room at Barbara, he called to her. What's Kenneth Graham's phone number? Market T5, Barbara told him. Richard moved to the phone, lifted the receiver, and asked for the number. While he was waiting to be connected, Edward Raynor, recalling his secretarial duties, asked Richard, Do you think I should order the car for Monsieur Poirot? Poirot spread out his hands apologetically. He was about to speak when Lucia forestalled him. Monsieur Poirot is remaining at my request, she announced to the company in general. Still holding the telephone receiver to his ear, Richard turned, startled. What do you mean? he asked his wife, tersely. Yes, yes, Richard, he must stay, Lucia insisted. Her voice sounded almost hysterical. Miss Amory looked up in consternation. Barbara and Edward Rayner exchanged worried glances. Dr. Carelli stood looking down thoughtfully at the lifeless body of the great scientist, while Hastings, who had been absent-mindedly examining the books on the library shelves, turned to survey the gathering. Richard was about to respond to Lucia's outburst when his attention was claimed by the telephone he was holding. Oh, what? Oh, is that Dr. Graham? he asked. Uh, Kenneth, it's Richard Amory speaking. My father has had a heart attack. Uh, can you come up at once? Oh, well, actually, I'm afraid there's nothing to be done. Yes, he's dead. No. I'm afraid so. Thank you. Replacing the receiver, he crossed the room to his wife, and in a low, agitated voice muttered, Lucia, are you mad? What have you done? Don't you realize we must get rid of this detective? Astonished, Lucia rose from her chair. What do you mean? she asked Richard. Their exchange continued quietly but urgently. Didn't you hear what father said? His tone fraught with meaning, he murmured. 
the coffee is very bitter. At first Lucia seemed not to understand. The coffee's very bitter, she repeated. She looked at Richard uncomprehendingly for a moment and then suddenly uttered a cry of horror which she quickly stifled. You see, do you understand now? Richard asked. Lowering his voice to a whisper, he added, He's been poisoned, and obviously by a member of the family. You don't want a ghastly scandal, do you? Oh, my God! murmured Lucia, staring straight in front of her. Oh, merciful God! Turning away from her, Richard approached Poirot. Monsieur Poirot, he began, and then hesitated. Monsieur? Poirot queried politely. Summoning up his determination, Richard continued. Monsieur Poirot, I'm afraid I do not quite understand what it is that my wife has asked you to investigate. Poirot considered for a moment before replying, then, smiling pleasantly, he answered, Shall we say the theft of a document? That, mademoiselle tells me, he continued, gesturing towards Barbara, is what I was called down for. Casting a glance of reproach at Barbara, Richard told Poirot, The document in question has been returned. Has it? asked Poirot, his smile becoming rather enigmatic. The little detective suddenly had the attention of everyone present, as he moved to the table in the centre of the room and looked at the envelope still lying on it, which had been generally forgotten in the excitement and commotion caused by the discovery of Sir Claude's death. What do you mean? Richard Amory asked Hercule Poirot. Poirot gave a flamboyant twist to his moustache and carefully brushed an imaginary speck of dust from his sleeve. Then, it is uh, just a, uh, no doubt, foolish idea of mine, the little detective finally replied. You see, someone told me the other day a most amusing story, the story of the empty bottle. There was nothing in it. I'm sorry, I don't understand you, Richard Amory declared. Picking up the envelope from the table, Poirot murmured, I just wondered. He glanced at Richard, who took the envelope from him and looked inside. It's empty, Richard exclaimed. Screwing up the envelope, he threw it on the table and looked searchingly at Lucia, who moved away from him. Then, he continued uncertainly, I suppose we must be searched. We... Richard's voice trailed away, and he looked around the room as though seeking guidance. He was met with looks of confusion from Barbara and her aunt, indignation from Edward Rayner, and blandness from Dr. Carelli. Lucia continued to avoid his eye. Why do you not take my advice, monsieur? Poirot suggested. Do nothing until the doctor comes. Tell me, he asked, pointing towards the study. That doorway, where does he go? Oh, that's my father's study in there, Richard told him. Poirot crossed the room to the door, put his head around it to look into the study, and then turned back into the library, nodding as though satisfied. I see, he murmured. Then, addressing Richard, he added, Eh bien, monsieur, I see no need why any of you should remain in this room if you would prefer not to. There was a general stir of relief. Dr. Corelli was the first to move. 
It is understood, of course, Poirot announced, looking at the Italian doctor, that no one should leave the house. I will hold myself responsible for that, Richard declared, as Barbara and Raynor left together, followed by Corelli. Caroline Amory lingered by her brother's chair. Poor dear Claude, she murmured to herself. Poor dear Claude. Poirot approached her. You must have courage, mademoiselle, he told her. This shock to you has been great, I know. Miss Amory looked at him with tears in her eyes. I'm so glad that I ordered the cook to prepare fried sole tonight, she said. It was one of my brother's favorite dishes. With a brave attempt to look serious and to match the solemnity of her delivery, Poirot answered, Yes, yes, that must be a great comfort to you, I'm sure. He shepherded Miss Amory out of the room. Richard followed his aunt out, and after a moment's hesitation, Lucia made a brisk exit. Poirot and Hastings were left alone in the room with the body of Sir Claude.